tonight we're going to continue in what's turned into a group of lessons on tonight will be on the conscience because we, we talked about that a little bit last week but I'm going to have we have a word of prayer Father we thank you again for another time to be in your word thank you for those who have gathered in here Father thank you that you brought us to this point in the week Lord you see the concerns that have been raised Lord throughout the day those that I've talked to Father the things that they're fighting and they're battling in their body physically spiritually Lord the, the way the world comes against us father i just ask in jesus name that you would continue to strengthen us in our faith and our understanding and wisdom lord that we would trust in you and that god you would lead us to the right places father to those people who can help us as uh, we are seeking you lord I, I pray in jesus name that we are all seeking you and your righteousness and to know you more to serve you more father and to love you more be with us in this time, Lord, in this word, because it belongs to you, not to me, not to any of us. And we just want the truth, Father. That's what we're seeking tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So the conscience. Last week we talked about this. We talked about the week before um, all the pieces of the body and who we are, our mind, our heart, our spirit, our soul, our conscience, and how all those things... When you get right down to it, our heart, it calls it our mind. There's so many of those parts are interchangeable because we're, it's just like I, you think of ourselves as we think of God. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, but He's God. They're all fully, it takes everything that we've talked about to make us what we are right now. Every single part of our being is what makes us what we are sitting here right now. But there's only one part of that being that we know for sure that's going to be eternal, and that's the Spirit. Last week we talked about the soul. The soul is, is the life that God breathed into us in Genesis 2 and 7. That's eternal. That soul is eternal. God's breath is eternal. That doesn't go away. So that's why whenever you're finished with this life, your, your spirit and your soul go somewhere for eternity. And that, I know I keep stressing that, but y'all, most people don't believe that. They don't believe that at all. They just think that you just die. Well, most people think that you just die and go to heaven. Let's be honest. because that's. But then you have a whole other category of people that when you die, you just die. You become nothing. So that's your two biggest things. Either everybody goes to heaven or there's nothing once you die. And both are terrible lies. Terrible lies. Those are the heresies that the Word of God talks about. Those are the things that are deceitful. And we're going to get into some of that tonight. But <clears throat> beginning, we're going to go back again to Job 32 and 8. That's where we're going to start at because your conscience is imparted with your soul. It's the soul as distinguishing between what is morally good and bad, a mechanism given by God to react to his law. So our conscience reacts to the law of God. And the law of God, we know the beginning of the law is the Ten Commandments. We've said this many times, and it's the truth. If you can, if you can live out the Ten Commandments, you can go to heaven. Right? But nobody can live out the Ten Commandments. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for us. But still, even to this moment in life, saved, you are still supposed to uphold that in your life. You don't get to not trust in God. You don't get to decide which parts of His law you keep and which parts you don't. Because you're filled with the Spirit of God. And you're supposed to uphold the law of God in your life. Does that look perfect every day? If it does for you, please tell us all how you do it. But we're supposed to be striving for that. That's the reality of this thing is, be ye holy as I am holy. Well, we can be holy. We can't be what God is. God is what? He's holy, holy, holy. All he's asking us to do is just be holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. 
So Job 32 and 8, this is where we see the discerning between good and evil. How can we prove that we're two things, that we're spirit and we're conscience? But it is a spirit that is mankind. But it is a spirit that is in mankind. True. There is a spirit that is within us. It says, and the breadth of the Almighty gives them understanding. There we see it is we were created in the image of God. We are spirit. Then he breathed his breath into us. And when he breathed that breath in, we also received a conscience. And that conscience lets us, it's, why does it say, let your conscience be your guide? Well, a lot of people don't like this, but let's be honest. Without that conscience, you would be a much worse person than you are now. Without a conscience, God loved us so much that even in the wicked state that we are, he gave us a moral compass whenever we were, when we were born. We were born into sin. We were not like we were supposed to be. But even the worst sinner, as you would say it, every single person that's born has a conscience. That's a common grace that God gave every man. God gave us a conscience to live by. He didn't have to do that. This is aside from the spirit. Understand that the spirit is a totally different thing than the conscience. Because everybody has the conscience, but not everybody has the Holy Spirit. Correct? Every person has a conscience. It's like say something. I, I've heard this preach. It's, it's been a long time, I guess. But, uh, the way I, we, it was taught, you know, God speaks to us through that conscience. Mm -hmm. That's the way we understand yep. God, is the way He speaks to us. And it's like talking about some people never had this Bible, never had, but but they still have that, and and they still be get spoken to. <laughs> they know the difference between good and evil. Yes. And that is the avenue by which God speaks to yeah. us. Amen. Even before even before you're filled with the Spirit, that's the avenue that God has to speak to you to draw you to Him. Yeah. There had to be some some way for Him to draw you. I was just about to say what what got you to that point of salvation. Amen. Exactly. In Romans two and fourteen through fifteen, exactly what y'all just said. For when Gentiles do not what the law instinctively performed the requirements of the law. When they don't have the law and they do it, why do they do that? that and that's a question that, that he's asking them. So then he goes on to say, though not having the law or a law to themselves. Well, you're a law to yourself because you have a conscience. And because whenever you were created, the Lord said, I will write the law on your heart. You, the law is in every single person. That's why you have to reject the truth to be outside of the camp, if you want to say. You have to be saved. You have to be born again. But to reject the truth, the truth is in you already. The law of God is written on your heart. You have a conscience, and that conscience tells you, you should not do that. And it gets loud. It's loud, but it's just what Miss Jenike said. Here's how it can go is, I know not to do that. And the first time it says, don't do that. The next time it says, don't do that. Don't do that. And that's where we're going to get until it's seared, and there's, there is nothing else. If you don't listen to that, you have you have nothing. That's the, and that's the scary part. But there's plenty of people, brother Travis. There's a paper up here, brother. If you want to get it, so he says, 
Again, for when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively perform the requirements of the law, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Where is it? It, they proved it. It's proven that it's already inside of you. Why on that day when you stand before God will you be without excuse? Because the law is written on your heart. You have a conscience to, to know morally what's right and wrong. Their conscience testifying in their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them. Here's the awesome part. For those of us who are saved, filled, um, our conscience is on our side. Here's the thing. If you're saved and born again in here, I would say let your conscience be your guide. For those who are outside of God's will, I would say not always. Not always. But but how many of us, and this is the, the sad part, we live in a time now where an unsaved person in Miss Edwina and Brother Gene's day, whenever you guys were, were kids and teenagers, a person who was an unsaved heathen had more morals than some people who claim to be Christians today. Right. Because the, the you're talking about a conscience that's seared. Television is the I, I, I watch it, too, guys. But television is the worst thing that ever happened to a nation. The violence that's on TV, you want to talk about your conscience being seared. We love to watch people get blown up, shot, decapitated, killed in every manner you could think of. That's that's desensitizes you. Having your conscience seared is a, it's desensitization. Over and over, up until just like this past week. Now there is actually like a, there's a commercial about pubic hair, like that's on television now, and it's a and it's a song, and they're singing it, and I was going, and it says you should talk about it everywhere, like it rhymes and everything, and I'm going, that's desensitization, like there's some things you just shouldn't talk about, definitely not on television where anybody can see it and hear it. But that's the difference. Once your conscience is seared, there's no shame. There's no shame. That's why people have all these shows where people's naked on television, like literally naked, not like blurred out, but like they're naked. They have no shame, guys. They don't care. They're naked in front of each other. They're naked beside each other. They're, how can you, you can't do that and be all right. They're definitely not safe people. I can't go on naked and afraid and be a safe person. That's an impossibility because now I'm I am revealing myself in front of a person of the opposite sex or even someone of the same. That's not biblical. That is horrible. But that's what I'm saying. There's no shame anymore. I mean, used to when people would hide things, nobody hides anything anymore because everything goes. That's desensitization. Their conscience has been seared. You, you can bring that back to the first couple that was on earth. Well, it's the first time they knew when they got to the That's exactly right. They covered up because they knew. They knew they were naked. And that's just the reality that we live in. But, and I know those things. Here's the thing is, the, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, correct? We know that people did all these wicked things. They've been doing those wicked things. That's why in Genesis chapter 6, that's why everything was destroyed, was because every imagination, their conscience was completely seared. The difference now is, is we can watch it 24 hours a day. It is just in our face. Y'all, it's on every billboard you see. It's garbage everywhere. It doesn't matter which way you turn or what you do. You, you have a hard time. You have to purpose to stay away from it now. Before you didn't, you just stumbled upon it, right? Be careful what you see and you hear and you it's everywhere now. It's just in your face. So why why are people's consciences the way they are? 
because that's, that's just the way it is now because they're raised up that way from being little children. They don't know any better unless we as the church teach them better and show them a better way. So then in John 8 and 9, Now when they had heard this, they began leaving one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the courtyard. Where are we? The stoning. Right? These men, their conscience told them when Jesus Christ told anybody without sin, cast the first stone. What, taught, what told them they couldn't cast the stone? Their conscience. Because guess what? These people weren't saved and filled with the Spirit of God. They just had a conscience. Matter of fact, most of them were devils. That's what the Lord would say. They're a brood of vipers. They're going to they're gonna kill a woman, and they're not even just in their killing of the woman because they're sinners. You know, I know that there was a time, the law and all that, for the longest, that was okay. Right? Because that's what the law says. Well, the law is not right. Why did Jesus come here? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And in fulfilling it, what came with Jesus Christ? Grace. Thank God for mercy and grace. That's why he goes in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why he's saying uh, you need to forgive people. That It used to say eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But now I say. But now I say. So we see a transition. A, a big transition, thankfully. It's not the way that it once was. That's why when people say that, well, the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You don't know what the Bible says. And I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest with you. You need to get a little versed in something called the New Testament because that is where salvation is. That's where you're going to find what Jesus Christ said. Because let me tell you something. The thought that you had against that person when you did not kill them, Jesus Christ said you already did. And it didn't even bother your conscience because you're living by the law. That's, do we live, do we still live by the law? Yeah, but it's not the law. It's James 2 and 12. It's the perfect law of liberty. That's what we will be judged by in the final day, it says. Who is the perfect law of liberty? Jesus Christ. You better listen to what he says. The Sermon on the Mount changes things from the physical to the spiritual because guess what? We're a spiritual being now. We're filled with the Spirit of God. So here's the other part for us as Christians. Not only do we have a conscience that we were given, we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit that leads and guides our path. So we are really without excuse. That's why he says if judgment comes first at the house of God, why? Because we have two. We have two things that morally guide us. We are filled with the Spirit of God and we have the conscience that every man has. And it says if, if the righteous scarcely be saved, does, if the righteous scarcely be saved, come on, y'all, really? This conscience is a big deal, a really big deal. And it's there to help us, guide us through this world, even aside from the, the time that we have. Because I've heard it said that God kept me from, God was so good that he kept me from being more evil than I was. He did that with a conscience. He gave me a conscience to be a guide for me, even when I was for 33 years, which I was evil as a baby anyway, because they're the most selfish thing there is, understandably, because nobody can, they have to be taken care of. But let's say I was five or six years old, you know, or 13 so for 20 years, I lived as a reckless abandon. I didn't care about God. I rejected everything about him. But even in that time, there were things that I thought about doing, but my conscience told me not to. So he saved me from being as wicked as I could have been because he gave me this wonderful gift that he's given every person in a conscience. Like myself, I can say before I saved you, know, I, I think I'm a pretty decent guy. But, you know, if, if, if I could have stood up and kept every law that's in this book and not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's all the broken. That's the point of the book of Romans. Yeah. The law, if you could have kept it, first off, the Yeah. If you could have kept it, right. there would be no need for Christ. That's right. And what we're speaking of is just something that's true. How many have ever heard it preached or, 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 or news God speaks in still small water? That's time. Yeah. We're defining that. That's mercy. To grant grace before we even receive mercy and grace is to give us something to keep us from being so wicked. But, yeah. So then Titus, the last one, this is just on the introduction to make sure. And he talks about your mind, the faculty of recognizing goodness and of hating evil. And it it equates it to, but you're going to see it's two different things. Because he says, to the pure, all things are pure. And just to give you an illustration, think of a word that means something else in the human language that's been misused, mislabeled, right? There's lots of words. I said this last Sunday morning. Cuss words ugly words and stuff, they don't bother me. They don't. I don't say them. I don't think that they're great to say. I don't hang out with people who say them. But if you say it, it doesn't hurt me because it's a word and it's just being misused because man's the only thing that can make things evil. But if someone said a word and that word in the world, the preacher's preaching a sermon and he uses a word that can also be used as a sexual act or something that's ugly, right? My mind doesn't go there anymore where it used to. And I would laugh and go, oh, he said that. Why? Because to the pure, all things are pure. Even the words that the world has defiled, to me, they don't mean that anymore because I have a conscience and all things have become new. Like something's changed in my life. So I don't see them that way. But to those who are outside, they do, y'all. And I used to, too. That's how I, That's why I know it's true. Because he would say a word and I would equate that word with something ugly from the world. And that's the first thought that would come to my mind. And then I would laugh about it. I'm like, the preacher's up there saying ugly stuff, but he's not. Because to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. That's who I was. Absolutely nothing was pure. The, great, the, the purest thing that could be said was still ugly. I could make a terrible joke about it because I was evil and unbelieving. My conscience was not where it was supposed to be even, which is scary because that's what we've talked about before. I was getting to a point to where my conscience could have been seared because nothing, I was irreverent. Nothing was holy. Nothing was right. I would just went about doing what I thought to, making a joke even of the word of God, the words of the man of God as he's speaking through the spirit. Do you see that's blasphemous? I was a blasphemer. I didn't see that then, but I can now. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Why? Why is that possible? Why is every wicked imagination? Let's go back to Genesis chapter six. Why did he destroy everything with water right there? Because it didn't matter if it was pure, if it was holy, if it was right. It was it was not right. It was defiled because people were that wicked. And you say, well, people, I can't be you would be you would be that wicked or worse if you hadn't been saved, if you hadn't been born again, if you hadn't had a renewing of that. That's what Brother Scott said something funny the other day. I was talking about somebody thought that I was evil because there's people in this world who think I'm evil. They don't like me. 
And he said, the next time that one of them says that, said, I'm a lot worse than you even think I am. Because that's the truth. The truth is the worst thing you can come up with about me that you think is bad about me, I promise you there's depths of evil within me that God is purging and working out of me. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm perfect. I'm not going to tell you that I'm, I'm trying. I'm not what we're going to get to. I'm not practicing evil like we spoke about last week. I don't practice it, but guys, I still have evil in my heart. And God is trying to purge that out of this vessel. And this conscience is doing its best, and the Spirit of God is 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 on me all the time. And I, but I, like Miss Jenica said, I react to that, and it stays tender, because my heart is no longer stone; it's flesh. So I react to those things, and when I do, just as you had said, is to keep a tender heart. I remember my uncle Al; he said a whole bunch of stuff in his life, but Proverbs was one of the things he loved, and he said, "Take care of your heart." And that's what Proverbs says. Take care of your heart because everything about life flows out from it. Everything that is life flows from that place. So take care of it. Keep your heart where it's supposed to be. Be right before God. Not so much before men. I would like for everybody to think that the way that I feel and the way that I do is right. But I've got to answer to God, not to anybody else. If I worried about answering to other people, I would be a terribly wicked person. Because... People, even the people I work with, the friends I used to have, they don't like me anymore. And that's an indication that we have a different conscience. We have a different idea of what it is to be a Christian. Because a lot of those people consider themselves Christians. But according to the Word of God, where we're going to get, they're not. So we're going to talk first about having a clear or a good conscience. That's two. There's over 50 verses that talk about conscience, right? You can study them and look through and read about them. But to have a clear conscience is with utmost integrity. It's without known sacrilege. I used to be sacri- I used to be irreverent to God. I was sacrilegious. This is saying without known sacrilege, and it's spiritual because Paul's going to say that in a little while. Paul said. Even the things I did that were wrong, I did them out of ignorance. And we did too. There was a time when we did things that were wrong, but we didn't do them spitefully. I wasn't trying to be irreverent. I really thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. Can you do that as a believer? Most certainly. I'm I'm, I'm prime example. There's things that I was taught and things that I thought I knew that were just terribly wrong. They really were. I mean, and I believed them because that's where I was mentored. That's where I thought things were right. And I had to go through a whole time of testing for like two years. I would just cry all the time because what I thought was real and who I thought was real, it wasn't. And it wrecked me as a human being because I had confidence in a person and I never truly had confidence in God because I believed what man said and I didn't put my faith in God like I should. And that, that's changed now, luckily. But good, what is upright, honorable, and acceptable to God, that's what's good. What is good, what is upright, honorable, and acceptable to God. So in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. That's a big mouthful. What he just said, in other words, it's the same thing he says, Why can you and I boldly approach the throne? The blood of Jesus. That's why he said, listen, when you sin, 
whenever your conscience is pricked or however you want to say or it's moved or you know that you did wrong, just ask forgiveness. Don't stay in that place. We, we have access to go boldly before the throne of God. That, is, that should not be taken lightly, but a lot of people do. And here's, how do you, well, what do you mean lightly? Well, lightly is, is I think that I can just do it for the same sin for the rest of my life. That's taking it lightly. I, I'm addicted to pornography. I used to be addicted to pornography. So now if I look at pornography on my phone and then I say, well, when I'm done, I'm just going to pray and God will forgive me. No, <laughs> no, no, that's not how this works because I am now practicing sin. I am purposefully deciding that I'm going to practice that sin. And I know I'm not ignorant anymore, correct? What have we always said? The first time that I do something, it can be a mistake. After that, it's a choice. I choose to do that. I choose to do that. that there's, a, there's a difference there, guys. And, and we can say sin, true sin, is a willful transgression against what we know is willfully doing. You know, just mess up sometimes, you know, that's not that's not real sin. We have to ask for forgiveness for those things, don't get me wrong. But true sin is that willful doing what I know I'm not supposed to do it. And habitually, that's what the Word of God says. It's habitual sin. It's a sin that I sin. That now, and here's the difference. Let's say this. Okay, I have an addiction, whatever it might be, alcohol or whatever. Six months pass by and I fail. I ask God to forgive me. I'm forgiven. A year passes, and I do it again. I ask forgiveness. God forgive. But it's not something that I do every single day. It's but but who failed? I failed. I failed, and when I go before God, this is why we're talking about a clear and good conscience. The Lord knows when I go before Him, am I being genuine or not? Don't think that you're going to fool God. And that's the part that should scare people. It says, let's approach God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. In full assurance of faith. Then He goes on to say, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. This is what he's talking about when he says, Behold, all things are made new. Your conscience has been made new. Your soul now has life in it because it's been quickened. Your soul is the breath that God breathed into you, right? You didn't have life. We talked about the valley of dry bones. There was no life in you. You were lifeless. You were formed from the dust and you were just, Adam's formed from the dust and he's just standing there. That's why Ezekiel, when we get in there, he's looking back. God's showing him that, but he's showing it with, he starts from the beginning because he's already formed that. All we know is what we see, and he goes, okay, there's all the bones. Well, then the bones come together, and the sinews, and the muscle, and the, but they're still there. But what's missing, guys? The breath. The life is what's missing. The life comes in the breath. So what he's saying right here is having our hearts sprinkled from, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, that was supposed to happen when you were converted. When you were converted, your soul, your spirit, your conscience, everything about you, behold, all things become new. Now, I don't think of things till he is pure. Everything is pure, right? That's, that's a change that was supposed to have happened in your life. Every part of your being was supposed to have been changed. It, how could it not have been changed? Who did the work? Who did the operation of changing who you are? The Lord did God actually did that. It says it, he did an operation. He did a circumcision of your heart. 
He changed your thoughts, your desires, your affections, and thank God he did. Because that's why we're sitting here tonight when we could be sitting at home doing whatever we want. But you're sitting listening to Brother Matt again spout out a bunch of stuff that you already know. Because if there's anything, and I know the heart of many of you is this, is if there's anything that's going to be said tonight or pulled from this that you don't already know, you sincerely want to know. Why do I read the Bible and study the Bible like I do? I really truly want to know if there's more to know. And I've learned this ever since I sat in Brother Gene's class when I first started here almost 10 years ago now, which is amazing. Been saved almost 10 years. I, I know I, know, I have learned so much in 10 years, but I could live another thousand years and never know enough. I mean, we could spend another thousand years together doing this and we'll never know everything that we need to know. That's how big our God is. That's how awesome he is. So in 23, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The word also tells us the, a man who wavers, even his word's not good. Hebrews chapter 5, like you, you can't waver back and forth. You're like, a, you're like a ship tossed on waves. Which is it? Are you saved and you have faith in your salvation and you have faith in God or you're not? Which is it? You have faith that God's going to uphold you like he did the last time or now you're doubting him? Which one is it? You've got to be one or the other. And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. Let's try to build one another up instead of tearing each other down. And the church is great about making people feel horrible about the things that they've done. And I'm not saying we shouldn't speak truth, but we've learned it's seasoned with salt. It's in love. There's a way about telling somebody the truth that you don't destroy them or hurt them or push them away. It says not abandoning our own meeting together as it is habit of some people. It really is. COVID, Miss Edwina said it. Everyone said it across the whole thing, guys. COVID showed, not being mean, being honest, COVID showed the church. COVID proved who the church is. And it proved that there's a lot of people that uh, they don't want to have, they don't want to do what we're doing tonight. Here's what we're going to do. Because COVID proved that we can worship God and we can do it with two services a week. We can have a Sunday morning service and we can have a Wednesday night service. And that is all we need. Cool. That's great. But we've added services since COVID here because we want to know more about God. It's not about doing less. It's not about you should want to do less or be part of something less. We're supposed to be desiring more. But not everybody's that way. Many people are not gathering together. They're not encouraging one another. I would much rather be encouraged by you guys than I would by the people I work with. I love the people I work with, and I pray for their souls. But the things that they say and the things they do, they come from a worldly perspective. It's different when I'm here because you, me being in your presence, you hold me to a higher standard, just as the Lord does. Because I'm not going to get away with saying or doing something here like I would if I was at work. Because you're going to call me out. And thankfully, I have people at my work that if I did, they'd call me out too. But you have a conscience and a spirit in you that's supposed to do that anyway, unless you're pushing back. It says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, we can all agree the day's drawing near. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's going to happen in, in a year or two. I, I don't know. That's not my business. I don't even, I don't even worry about that. What I think about is, is that every day God's given me another opportunity to rise up to be who I am, and to hopefully show a light in a lost and dying world. I had the perfect opportunity yesterday to act like a very terrible individual because I went to have an EGD, and I sat for two hours in a waiting room without anybody even acknowledging I was there 
and then I went in the back, and then I was there for another two hours. But I didn't. My, my affections, my heart was set on because I had prayed Sunday night because of the sermon, because of what we had talked about. Give me an opportunity this, this week, Lord. I don't want it to be what I say. And I want it to be what I do instead. Let it be what I do. So what did I do? When they came in and I knew that something was wrong, you know, like they were behind or whatever, I said, the lady said, I'm really sorry. I said, ma'am, I'm in the air conditioner. If the worst thing that happens to me today is I have to wait in the air conditioner, I think I'll be okay. But why do you have that idea? Because there's somebody right now that's an American that's somewhere on the other side of the world that's fighting for their life in a hundred and something degree weather because they got blew up by an IED. And I did have to wait, but God gave me air conditioning. He gave me a comfortable place. I'm not fighting for my life right now. So I'll, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm actually about to take a nap. And I did. That's the kind of opportunities that we have if we pray. But I had the opportunity to do just the opposite. Yep. And I didn't have nothing that said Brother Matt on it. So nobody had known any better, right? But who are we when we're not? What is our conscience doing whenever no one's around that knows? So a clear conscience. Acts, Acts 23 and 1. Paul, now looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I had lived my life with an entirely good conscience before God up to this day. Paul, you kill people. You kill people. So he's standing before the, the council, and he's saying, Look, up to this day, well, what does he mean? Paul of Tarsus was always thought he was serving God. I can tell you now, and I would tell the church, if some one day I never was here as a, in a ministry role or whatever, I would be honest all the way to the end. There were times and there were days that I told you things that were wrong. But I promise you, church, that I always thought that I had God's best interest. It was never about me. But I taught, I taught something that was wrong. I misled people. That's a reality. But I have to be honest about that. That's what Paul had to say. Paul, had to, Paul was persecuting the church, and then all of a sudden he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is so adamant. He humbles himself so much in the word, talking about how wrong he was. But he says this because he's being honest. I never did it for, for the wrong reason. I always truly, sincerely thought that I was working on God's behalf. That's what it's saying about a clear conscience. Do I do things wrong? Have I done things wrong? Do I say things wrong until the day I die? And if I do, please come with, with verses. Come with scripture and tell me. But I never do it purposefully. And I never do it out of spite. Ever. And that's what Paul's saying right there. I know that I did things I shouldn't. But I never did it with the wrong intentions. My intentions always, I thought, were aligning with God's. 1 Timothy 3 and 9. He's talking about deacons here. But holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience, that's one of the things that a deacon should be able to do. The mystery is what? It's the gospel. I should be able to hold the mystery of the gospel. In other words, I should be able to understand what the mystery of the gospel of faith is. What is, what is faith? Trust in Jesus Christ. My faith is the reality that I, I trust in God enough. I trust in the Father and the Son enough that I truly am going to live out my life according to what they tell me. See, that's the thing about trust and belief. People say, well, I trust, I believe. No, whenever you trust and you believe, that means that there is a pattern of life that shows that you're following the teachings of someone. Because I, I believe that tomorrow when I wake up, the air conditioning in my house is still going to be running, but that doesn't mean it will. I have, I have a belief in that, but that's the difference between the belief in there and true belief in the one true living God. 
Very big difference. And people don't understand that because my life aligns with, I believe, in the Constitution of the United States of America. But there's provisions that were in that that if it came down to it, they do not align with the Word of God. And you know what I'm going to uphold? The Word of God in my life. Because I don't see anywhere in the Word of God, one of the first things we learn is we have the pursuit of what? Happiness. That's one of them. There's nowhere in here where it says that you have the right to be happy. I'm just being honest. Like, go back and look at the things. That's not in here. The pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of... That's not in here. So I can't hold that as to be a 100% absolute truth unless the Word of God tells me that. So, but holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience, purified by the grace of God and purged from dead works by the blood of Christ. That's the truth right there. Purified by the grace of God. Why are you what you are? Because of God. Thank you, Jesus. And you're purged from dead works by the blood of Christ. That's the only reason. Why is my conscience clear? The blood of Christ has been applied. And now my conscience has been changed. Even my conscience is now better than it was 2.0, new and improved. Right? It's changed. And now I have the Spirit, too, to guide me. You don't think my Spirit works along with my conscience to bring about sanctification? I have another tool in the old toolbox of sanctification. Thank you, Jesus, for that. This 2 Corinthians 1 and 12. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. So let's remove the commas and read what's what's that clause in the middle. You can pull out and it still makes sense. He's just adding detail. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, <clears throat> that in holiness and godly sincerity, he says, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world. So the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and sincerity, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Can you say that? Is that a reality for you? How, have, how, how does that look for you? What is the testimony of your conscience? One day you're going to answer for that because that conscience is talking to you. The conscience is guiding you. We've, we've agreed tonight that that's a still small voice, correct? So I'm going to read it again. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. In the world, when they're around heathens and people that aren't right, but especially towards those of the church, what does the Word of God tell us? We are to love all people, we are to do for all people, but especially those of the household of God. It should not be grievous to love the people who are in Abundant Grace Church. And if you find that it is, you really need to pray. Or you need to go and make it right with that person. I've said that about many things. If someone has ought against me, Please come and tell me. Let's not let that move on. And everybody else should feel that same way. That's called maturity. Maturity in Christ Jesus says this. If a brother or sister comes to me and they come about it the way the Word says to, and they have a grievance, I'm supposed to talk to them about that, and we're supposed to reason that out. But talking about it behind someone's back or keeping it back or withholding it, just like it's not ugly, it's just the truth. I've worked with people where... Something was wrong, and had they taken care of it immediately, it would have been so much better. But it grew into this big thing, and by the time it came up, 
it destroyed everything. It just destroyed everything because they let it fester. No, we're supposed to. There's a the Bible even gives us in Matthew chapter is it 18 gives us the way the method that we're supposed to go through for discipline and how to react to one another and how to go to one another. Matthew chapter six. We're going to get into that. What does it say? If I know, if even I know that someone has ought against me, I'm supposed to leave what what I have there and go and make it right with that person. But here's the part. I don't know that I have ought with you if you don't tell me first. I mean, you, you have to tell the person that you have a problem with them, guys. Because if you don't, what happens is, I know because it's happened in my life, a root of bitterness is a very simple thing that can happen. You don't think it is. You're like, I read about that root of bitterness and they say it runs real deep. It don't take long for those roots to grow. Because they are fertilized and it grows really quickly. And before you even know it, it's there and it's taken hold. And that is a hard thing to work out. So that's why the, the moment that you realize that, the moment you go and you, do, you make it right. Make it right. Do it then. So that's the clear and good conscience. There's always a contrast. We have the evil conscience. The evil conscience, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 20. It is a purpose rejection of the truth. Understand that. I think... Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service even though I was a previously a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. That's who I was too. I was a blasphemer. I was a terrible person and I thank God that he has confidence in, well thank God he has confidence in the spirit that's in me otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here doing this because there's nothing that he should have confidence in this flesh. At all, even to this day. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, right? Brother Gene said that earlier. These things that we do that aren't what we would consider habitual sins that we practice are things we really didn't know about. But the scary part about that is, is that the Word of God says that if I really am in tune with God and I'm really seeking God's will, that I'll pray and He'll show me the things that are wrong in my life. So here's the thing is, you're supposed to be actively searching your own heart through prayer, through God, through the Spirit to align with God. Because that's the whole thing about prayer. And Brother Scott brought it up. And it's, it's a weird way of looking at it. But when I pray, I'm praying. People say, well, why do you pray so that I can align with God's will? You do. I mean, we realize that we pray and that God answers our prayers. We do understand that. But it was God's will to answer that prayer. The only reason that a prayer is answered is because it's God's will. Yep. So what I'm doing when I pray, when my dad was sick, my prayer was that my dad would be made whole. He is made whole. Did it align with the type of whole that I really was looking for? Not at all. But here's what I had to do. I had to pray fervently for those days that my will would align with his will because I saw where his will was going. And you have to do that. That's the thing is, why do we pray? You say, well, we pray so people can be healed. We pray, and we do. But we pray so that our will aligns with God so we can accept God's ultimate will. You want to you you be able to help yourself align with God's will. That's not always the easiest thing to do. It's very, very difficult. But that's the, that's the purpose of prayer. Yeah, it never ends. It never ends. So then he says in, th in verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was more abundant 
more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. He, he's, he's got that same mindset that we heard about Sunday night, right? This is, that's, he's got the same mindset. He's, he's saying, you know, he demonstrated his perfect patience in me in the wicked, evil things I did so that other people might understand that they can be saved too. So God's ultimate will is, is it comes to fruition. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made according to you, that by them you fight the good fight. We know that because of his, his grandmother, his mother, they prayed. Uh, Paul tells him several times, stir up those things that are inside of you. Remember the things that were said? He says, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. That's, that's a scary thing. But you see, they purposed to reject that. They rejected the truth. That's on, it's a purpose thing. It's not an accident. It's what Brother Gene had said earlier. They didn't accidentally just do something out of ignorance. They knew the truth. And they chose to let their conscience be seared. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. We can't really do that a whole lot now because it's hard. It's hard to even get people to come to church whenever they don't agree that the air conditioning should be a certain way or the coffee should have three scoops of coffee or four scoops of coffee. But there was a time whenever a person was wrong, they sat them outside the church. But you know what that did, guys? It drove them back to the people of God. It doesn't anymore. Because that's basically where we've got. It's about creature comforts. It's about things. And it shouldn't be about that. It should be about, I've been separated from God's people. Please let me back in. <laughs> please just let me back in. I, I, I don't even care if all I do is just come and just please let me come in. I'll sit in the back where nobody can see me. That's what he did. What did he do by turning them over to Satan? He put them back in the world. He excommunicated them out of the church. That's what happened right there. And there was a time, like I say, when that was a really big deal. It really upset people. Now people would probably be just like, good, I can go fishing more. Or I'll go down the road and find one of the other four churches within five miles of here where they'll tell me that everything's good and I don't have to do any more. And, and then they'll hide themselves because most people who leave a church this size, there's, there's a few reasons they leave. Okay. They leave because now they can go to another church. They won't be involved in ministry anymore. They won't get involved in the workings of the church. And if they show up, it, do, it, it, it doesn't even matter. They're just another person amongst a group of people, and they go about doing what they want when they want. That's where we go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and 25. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Get to know your fellow believers. Build one another up. Help one another. Sometimes building someone up means telling them they're in sin. I know that seems like really mean, but which is better? Is it better to let someone continue to sin so that when they die they go to hell? Or to tell them the truth and be like, hey, don't do that. But there again we go back, how do we do it? In love, season with salt. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, again. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Uh, what did these two men do? The same exact thing. If it says the Spirit explicitly says, I'm thinking it's probably going to happen. Yeah. 
If you don't believe that, then you're not filled with the Spirit of God because uh, he just said, it's, it's explicitly says, okay, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience and with a brand, as with a branding iron, who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which from foods which God created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. And this is aligning with a bunch of denominations we know. I'm just being honest with you tonight. They tell you don't get married. Uh, they tell you that you you can't eat certain things. Judaizers, the church, that if you don't belong to that church, you don't get to go to heaven. That's ridiculousness, but that's what he's saying. So the greatest and most powerful church in the world is listed right there in that. Why do you think that is? Because the Spirit expressly said so. This is what's going to happen, and I'm giving you a warning. And when you see those things, stay away from it. But here's here's how you get around that is. For for the conscience sake, for the to, to keep that away from them, what does Satan say? Well, I'm just, they don't need to read this. Matter of fact, you don't need to read your Bible. You just listen to what I say. I'll tell you what you need to know. Matter of fact, not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to write four other books, thick as your Bible, to explain what this Bible says because you don't have sense enough to know what that Bible says. That's what that religion, that's what religion is telling you. Is one number one? Don't worry about what the Bible says. I'll tell you what the Bible says. Or number two, we've got a series of books. If you'll buy that series of books, it'll explain the Word of God, and you'll know it perfectly. When this tells me that the mystery has been revealed to all of those who what who have been saved, born again, and filled with the Spirit of God, because what is this word? Is spiritually discerned. Let me tell you why you don't understand the Word of God because you're not filled with the Spirit of God. Oh, that that doesn't that doesn't feel good to people. Why don't you understand what God's Word is saying? Because you're not filled with His Spirit. Because it explicitly, again, says many times in here, this is spiritually discerned. Carnal man does not understand this. If you don't understand... Or, you know, at me, and, it, and we know that it does. But also, an unsaved man can pick up this word, though, and if he has ears to hear, mm -hmm. the Spirit will speak to him, and he can be saved by none other than this word. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the Spirit will speak differently to him, not as a Christian, to speak to, but it's wrong through the word. And he, through his conscience, he has a he has an avenue to get to you, and it's through the what the preaching of the word. You hear the word, and it, yeah. The, yeah. I've read through this thing several times. It's never all been revealed. <laughs> no, and it never will. So I say a thousand years we could read it. and it, it, Every time us, different people call it different things, but you pick up little little nuggets. You know, when you read it, if you read it with a sincere heart, you get what you're supposed to. Like. Amen. That's right. Yeah, that's right. No. 
if, if God was to download everything we need to know through a lifetime, we'd evaporate. No there's no way you could. You could yep. Yep. God gives us what we need when we need it. Yeah. You know, we talk about we all the testimonies about the Gideon Bible. People come to know the Lord in a hotel. Just pick it up. They may, may, yeah. may contemplate taking their life, no matter yeah. what they're going through. But when that word is revealed yes. to them, what they need to hear to come to know it, it's that living word to them. Yeah. There are many more people. Martin Luther, he gets almost struck by lightning, calls out for St. Anne to save him, not the Lord, St. Anne. He goes into being a monk. His own words, if you could have been saved by monkery, it would have happened. Right? That's what he said. As an unsaved monk, teaching college-level theology, teaching through Galatians, he comes to faith in God. In his room, by candlelight, and he said it's like it's as if the sun shone through his window and landed right there where it says, the righteous shall live by faith and faith alone. Yeah. And he's like, now he has to stop what he's doing because, like you said, out of ignorance, he's been teaching the wrong thing. Yeah, then comes a, here comes a reformation, right? A reform back to the things of God. And like Miss Jenny Kay said, it was a man by himself reading the Bible. Yep. What? Titus 1 and 16. This is the problem with these individuals. And this is the problem with most people. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. That is, uh, you talk about all the things that I, I've, I've ever said that people got really upset because they thought I was being mean when I was just preaching or teaching the truth. That's mean. That's mean-spirited, you would think, but it's not. It's the truth. Titus is full of this kind of truth. It's just straight in your face. It's reality is they profess to know God, and we know plenty of people this way, and I, I pray for their soul. But their deeds, in their deeds, in the things they do, the words they use, everything they do, they deny who he is, being detestable and disobedient, lawless, in other words, and worthless for any good deed. You're not even fit. You can't do anything good because there's nothing good about you because you're not even filled with the Spirit of God that you claim to have. How do I know that? Because Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, right before that, what is the discourse that he gives us in there? He says, we'll be known by our fruit. I mean, we will be known by our fruit. I can look and listen and see what somebody does. It doesn't take long to be around a person who even calls himself a believer. It's amazing. And that goes back to this conscience because they're so used to doing things. It's amazing how comfortable they get in a short span of time and the truth starts revealing itself, right? It doesn't take long because you, you meet them and you're like, well, we're believe we both are the same religion, let's say, or we're both the same whatever. It doesn't take long for the truth to reveal itself because once someone gets comfortable around you, the truth begins to come out, especially when you're outside of these walls, right? Because God's not watching me. I'm not in the church. I mean, that's where God is. That's why I go there so that I could worship him. No, friend, I'm sorry. God is everywhere. That's what we've learned over and over. Everywhere you are, he sees you. So that tells me a lot about a man's conscience too. If you think that you can do whatever you want whenever you're not here in these walls, but your heart's not right before God. You can't have a clear conscience before God. It's an impossibility. So Matthew 7, 21, and this is where many people are going to find themselves, and it's really scary. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So who gets to go to heaven? Those who do the will of the Father. Habitually sinning constantly over and over, living your life like that, you're not going to heaven. You're not filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit does not, that's not how the, the Spirit of God does not live in habitual sin. The person who is filled with the Spirit of God does not live in habitual sin. That's a scary thing because it's only for a certain amount of time and then eventually something's got to give, guys, because the Lord even says that. He tells them over and over, even in Revelation, the last one in Revelation 18, come out from among them. But he calls his people, come out from among them. We talk about different denominations and different things. A person who's truly seeking God will eventually pull you out from among it. He'll bring you to the truth. And that truth may land, you may end up right back where you are as a truth bringer or whatever, however it works out. But that's only going to last for a certain amount of time because whenever this happens, God is not the author of confusion. He's going to pull you from that place. You can go back in and you can try and do all the good you think, but that's not the way that God works. That's just not how he works. So he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. You can't live in habitual sin and think that you're going to make it into heaven. That's ridiculous. It's a, and it's a scary thought. For me, it is at least. What does that look like? It looks like a lot of things. Because here's the thing is, it's just disobedience. That's what he's saying. Those of you who lived in, in, in disobedience, you just went about making your own law and making your own way. And it's easy to come up with reasons and, and, and have your own ideas about what it is. But there's only one truth. That's what we learned last Sunday. There's only, there's only one truth. And it's what Brother Gene said earlier. If it's not through Christ Jesus, then it's meaningless. I can know everything. There's people right now that have read this who have didactic memories, and they know every single word in this Bible. And you could ask them for a page number and a, what's on this page in this version from, from 1965. And they'll tell you because they can remember it, but they're no more saved than anybody else because it's not in that. It's not in this. It's, it's a whole. It's all of you. So they are deceived. And the, these, these in Titus, 1 Timothy, both of those, and in Titus, they're deceived. You think you have something that you do not possess. Most people think that, guys. That's why we have. That's why we search out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's why he tells Titus, uh, Paul tells Timothy, make make foolproof of your ministry. Make sure you're where you're supposed to be. Don't get complacent. Don't just think that because you want to receive something, it's yours for eternity. We have been given something that's a precious gift, and our job is to what? is to live life in Christ through the Spirit of God and try and impute, if you want to say, try to spread that light to every person we see. I don't have... Yes, we have to take care of it. But, there's, a there's a difference in self-examination and doubt. Right? So there's some who, who approach their salvation and they doubt that anything's ever happened. Right? So they fall on the face and they they live their life in shambles and stuff, and, and a true believer, just because I'm self-examining and I'm asking God, okay, am I truly who I say I am, right? It's, it's how you come, it's the position that you come about it. I'm not doubting my salvation, but I want my salvation to be as secure sure. and as foundationally firm as possible because people are looking at it, mm -hmm. right? 
Exactly. And and you think about this, you talk about people that profess to be Christians, but they get out there in the world and they do things. Yeah. If, yep. if you mislead someone, that blows over your hand. Yes, sir. I mean, Absolutely. that's a, that's a yes, bad sir. thing. Well, I think that. that out yeah. there. Well, that's it. That's why I seek my yeah. own salvation with fear and trembling, because God forbid that I send somebody down the road. Yeah. 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 I'm just going to live like Pastor Scott. It must be okay. No. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Right. You know, but that's truly, that is the responsibility as a mature Christian, especially us that are in the ministry. That's how a lot of people perceive it. And the Bible even explains that out. That's why there's a letter to Timothy, or two letters to Timothy and a letter to Titus, because Paul is saying the same thing. People are looking at you, make sure you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Let there not be many masters, because they'll receive the greater condemnation. That's the scary part. The last in closing, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. So we see true true death to self brings alignment with the truth. That's what this all boils down to, with your conscience, with, with everything. You're gonna we're gonna look at an individual here who once was, was converted and saved, and now is. But the both of them have a conscience. That's the thing is, people say, well, if you don't, if I don't, if I'm not filled with the Spirit, I can't be held responsible. Wrong. You were given the law. Whenever you were created in the image of God, the law was put on you because God is the law. God is love. God is light. God is, and then you were given a conscience so that it could interact with that law and know, hey, that shouldn't do that. I mean, why would a person, that's what he was talking about in Romans chapter 2 there. Why are the Gentiles why are they a law unto themselves? Well, they're not. They, it's because the law is written on their heart. The Bible says that it's a great judgment. That's how God can be just in everything that he does. He says that, yeah, we stay condemned, but it's us who condemn ourselves. All he has to do is open up the door, right, and ask the question, why? Why did you not do what I said to do? And you're not going to be able to lie that day. You may have went to the grave, the, the liarest liar that ever lied. You're not, you're not, you're going to tell the truth that to you. I knew better, and I didn't do it. Now, this last thing that Paul's going to say, again, Paul never mixed words. He never did. He even told them one time, I've told you everything fully, so if you go to hell, your blood's not on my hand. He said it in a nicer way, but that's literally what he said. Your blood is not on my hands. If you, if you stand before God and you go to hell, it will not be because of Paul. It'll be because of you. He says, so I say, I, so I say this and affirm in the Lord that you are to no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds, in the ignorance. You cannot do that anymore. The things that you do and the things that you say cannot be void. Futility, it's, it's nothingness. You can't live that way anymore. Why? Because you've, you know the truth. You say that you're saved and born again. You say you're filled with the Spirit of God. Well, there's something there that wasn't there before. You can't claim ignorance anymore. Them being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Did you see they were truly excluded? These people who say, well, I'm not excluded if it's ignorance. He just said it, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. You don't. Because the word also says, again, it says there was a time when God winked at ignorance, but now he calls all men to repentance. There is nothing like that anymore, guys. Because why? Because you have everything you need to come to the true knowledge of who he is. Just like Miss Jenna Kay said, even as an unsaved person, there's a conscience there, there's a draw there, and there's a spirit actively working on this side to draw men. Because of the hardness of their heart, and they have, having become callous, they're seared. 
have given themselves up to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And that's what Brother Gene, we go back to that is, it's not that they did something wrong. We, we do things that we shouldn't do. A lot of times it's, it's guilt of, sometimes it's omission. We don't do what we should do. Sometimes it's commission. We actively do something. Sometimes we do things out of ignorance that the Lord lets us know, you shouldn't have been doing that ever. And you're like, thank you, Lord. Please forgive me for the last 10 years of my life that I did that because I really didn't know that was a sin, right? But these are doing this stuff with greediness. Oh, they just can't get enough. It's just like I say with the big, one of the big things because it's an easy one is pornography. You start off with something that's small, but that's not enough. It needs to be worse and worse and worse until you get to just, it's terrible, because that doesn't satiate that anymore. It's kind of like it's a, it's a simple thing, but it's the truth. We are never pleased as human beings. There's never enough. Ricky hadn't eaten in 11 days. And she said, if I could just drink some water, I'll be happy. Well, then she got to drink some water. And then she said, I would just really like to drink something that has flavor, and I'll be happy. And then she said, I would really like to eat just a cracker, and I'll be, you see where I'm going with this? We are never, ever satisfied. We always need to one-up it, something more, something more, because that's the way that we, unfortunately, are sinful. It's got to be worse. It's got to be more. It's always more. So that's what they're, and they're pursuing this more, 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 more. But you did not learn Christ in this way. So, oh, wait a minute. So now we're switching over to us. So he's telling them, quit acting like this, because that's not how you learn Christ. You didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Is that a, is that a reality in your life? Then he goes on, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. How can you ever say that you are holy just holy right there because of Christ. It's not because of you, but because of, that's where we go back to James because that's the best one I can give you. Because I have been saved, because then I have good works. Because I have faith, I have works to go along with those faith. It, it doesn't work any other way. That's the thing I don't understand. Is Levi is a prison guard. He's a, if he doesn't go to work, or he gets fired, he's not a prison guard anymore. He can call himself that. He can say, I was a prison guard, but he's not actively one. You are what you do. People call themselves Christians, and they're not, because they're not acting Christ-like. Can you make mistakes? Can you make and trip up? Yes, you can. And you pray and you ask forgiveness, but living a life of habitual sin whenever your conscience is screaming at you in the beginning it gets to a point to where it doesn't even speak anymore because you have seared it. And we can go to Romans again, back to Romans chapter 1, and we see the same thing that we saw here. The, the outcome of that is horrible because we have no idea the depths of our depravity until we no longer have a conscience. Why, have, why are these people do the evil, evil things they do? They talk about the Hitlers and the terrible people in the world. They no longer had a conscience. And once that's gone, there's absolutely nothing to withhold with, hold you back from how evil you can be. Because what? You're the law now. When a person gets there, they have become their own God. Yep. 
and they submit to they submit to nothing but self. They are greedy of it, and they just feed self. And whatever makes that self feel good is what they do. And killing six million Jews for Hitler, that was what made him feel good about life. And the scary part is if you'll if you'll do this on your own, like I say, there's over 50 verses on the conscience. There is never a remedy for that. Do you understand what I just said? I mean, we can go to Proverbs 29 and 1, and it says that a person who is often, often, in other words, he's saying a person who I often go to their conscience and I try to get them to stop, and they harden their neck, they get stiff-necked, and they're never reproved, they're destroyed, and that's without remedy. And then you follow that into the New Testament, and you watch every time that he says that he turned them over, he never, there is no, there's no coming back from that. I have not found a verse where you come back from that because your conscience is seared. That's a good place to, to tie, to tie this all together. We all agree that it's still soft, small voices. God is speaking through your conscience. Once you sever that, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? God is speaking through the Spirit in you through your conscience. That's blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Once you once you sever that, done. That's where you're at. It's the unforgivable sin. Yeah. What we're talking about is we have a. We have a, a, a term, right? The, the unforgivable sin or blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. What we're talking about is the application of that. What does this look like? Right? In, in a human life, what does it look like to fulfill the unforgivable sin? What's well, the serious, serious conscience? Yeah. Utter rejection of truth. There's nothing left. Yeah. All right. Any? Yes, sir. And, and it's amazing. You know, it's like you're talking about there are people out there that can tell you they're Christians and, and this. But you just be around them a little while, and you can see all the. And I'm talking about some bad things, you know. And 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 they can still think everything's okay. But the, God's not talking to them. That it's already gone. You see what I'm saying? It's already gone. Otherwise, they wouldn't say that in front of you. Now, there are people that do that, and they'll apologize to you for what you said. Then they're talking. I'm still speaking, speaking. Yeah. You know. But there are those that he's not talking to. And I'm sure everyone in here knows something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody truly believes that God is right. Like he's never wrong. Right? Once you sear your conscience and you, in essence, become your own God, you're never wrong. Because <laughs> that, that's that's in you, right? That's part of that's part of the law. That God is holy, so you need to be holy. I'm right. Once you sear the conscience and you put yourself up as God of your life, as sovereign of your life, you can't tell me what I'm doing. What I'm doing, okay? It's a scary place to be. So who dethrones God? No one. Nobody. That's a fact. Once you've been separate and He's turned you over to that, and you are you're sovereign over your life, nobody's going to dethrone you from that. So nobody's powerful enough to. Not even God Himself. That's your thinking. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's scary. Yeah. It's a scary place. That's why we that's why we say come. Like the spirit and the bride. Like, no, yeah. Come back. It's already history. We're gonna do that. We we'll yes. deal with those generations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get preach to them all that time and others are just you know, son in law. for it though. There's no hope. Yeah. All right, I'm going to dismiss this, guys. Father, we thank you again for another time to be in your word. Be with each one of us as we leave this place, God. I pray that this word is 
in us, Father, as part of who we are, God, that we can live out this in our life, Lord, is that we would be pleasing unto you, because that's what the Word says. We we need to bear much fruit, and there, therein we please the Father. You see those who are here, Father, who have troubles in their life, God, they need they need answers to prayer, Father, that you would move on their behalf. They have ailments in their bodies, in their minds. There's battles going on in all our lives, and we thank you for your faithfulness and those things that you've kept from us, and we thank you for the victories that we'll have in our life. Father, we just pray we just pray for the unbelief that we have, Lord, the times where we stumble, the places where we don't fully trust you, that you would help us in those moments, that you would bring back, back the thoughts of the times that you, you came through for us the last time and the time before. God, be with those who aren't able to be here that are sick in their bodies, Lord. We Those who haven't been able to come to church in months, Lord, and we know that their desire is to be here, their true desire is to be in the house of God. We ask that you would touch their loved ones, Lord, those things that are keeping them from being able to be here, God. We ask that you would move on their behalf. Thank you again for our people, and thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.